Hello, everyone. Welcome to Harmonic Heart, where a music blog dedicated to showcasing musicians' stories and talent. I'm your host, Chris Millette. I'm excited to have on the show today, Kimmy Adegaroye. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Kimmy is a singer, songwriter, actress, and producer in the DC metro area. Her artistic career spans multiple disciplines and genres, ranging from jazz and soul to musical theater and pop. On Valentine's Day 2020, Kimmy released her first original single, The Man Who Stole the Moon, inspired by the 2010 movie Despicable Me, starring Steve Carell. Her recently released EP, for the record, is inspired by her lifelong love of Aretha Franklin, Motown, jazz standards, and Broadway storytelling. Kimmy is also a 2020, or is it 2021, Whammy finalist uh, for best soul artist and group. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing, amazing. So um, Kimmy also for her, um, her debut EP for the record reached her goal of a thousand streams as well. So yeah, already. Okay. Yeah, that's what we were aiming for within about the first week over a thousand. It was just on Spotify too. So we were oh, wow. other platforms with even more streams. So it's just, you know, more growth, more numbers uh, than I've seen before. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, yeah, I listened to it on title. So yeah, you know, it's, there it's, you go. <laughs> I, I think the only person I've met yet is on title. So that's good. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just firstly, you know, again, on the topic of listening to the For the Record EP, um, I just noticed a couple of things. One is that you're skilled at conveying a range of emotions through your singing and you have just a beautiful, powerful singing voice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, it was an excellent project all around from the arrangements, the performances, the background vocals, the instrumentation, the writing, um, dynamic range. Yeah. So I just thought it was overall just is excellent so it was really exciting for me to listen to it yeah <laughs> that's really really uh, re uh, affirming to hear just because you know you put a lot of time and a lot of work and hours that no one gets to see and you pay attention to a lot of details that a lot of people won't even catch but uh to know that someone appreciates the whole project from top to bottom is really uh, affirming so thank you <laughs> oh yeah definitely and yeah and i think um, and I guess to add some more context and background, um, I first learned about you, you did a DC Music Summit takeover um, where you, it was really cool because you took over, you know, their Instagram stories and you went into the studio during those first sessions and sharing just the excitement around recording um, and you shared that and you also did a interview with Valu from DC Music Summit too. So that's how, um, you know, I learned about you. And I'm like a bedroom producer. So, you know, it's interesting. So that's what really sparked my interest or piqued my interest to learn about how you just organized and arranged all these different people and worked with this, you know, just a very collaborative process. So that's, you know, something that I want to talk some more about today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love talking about the process just because it's 
a journey and it's taken a long time, but it's been really fun. And we've learned a lot of lessons and had a lot of great experiences throughout. Mm-hmm. And since I do all, a lot of things myself in my room and I hear how my stuff sounds, then I'm like, oh, when you go to like, I know when things sound excellent, when they're supposed to be done the right way. <laughs> you know, so I listen out for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, um, you know, hmm. Yeah, maybe you could tell me a bit about, you have just such a, a range, you talk about, um, you know, even acting and theater, and also, you know, you're a singer as well. Can you talk, tell me, you know, and this could be brief about just how you first kind of got into music, um, and maybe your own songs and writing and, and you as a performer. Of course, yeah, no, I started from a very young age, I was uh, definitely part of, my parents were part of the generation that believed in, you know, your children at least starting with an instrument, whether or not mm-hmm. they moved forward with an instrument after a certain number of years depended, but uh, they put me in piano lessons at the age of five. And then I went to a school that believed very much in comprehensive education. They, you know, made languages a requirement from, you know, a young age to junior high they made sure that everyone was studying the, you know, hard sciences and maths, but also the arts as well. And so I did choir, I did um, countless plays and, and musicals. And this was before I had a say in the matter, it was just kind of life itself. And then I went to high school where that was no longer required at a new school. Um, it was an option, but not required. And so I did some music, but I didn't do theater that first year because I didn't feel like I needed to anymore. And that's when I realized that, oh no, this is something that I independently love. Like this Mm. is something that means a lot to me that I miss when I'm not doing it. And so from that point on, it was just a mix of me doing theater and doing music and musical theater was kind of the big draw for me. Like I just loved the ability to act on stage and to perform a scene with other people and then when you reach that point where words are no longer enough, you could introduce this other element, music, to elevate everything so much more. And so it was just a really fun experience to study music in school, study theater in school, study it in outdoor programs. And then I went on to uh, minor in theater in school, but also studying music and um, being a member of the university choir and we would go on tour in different places. And so, and at the same time throughout my life, my parents were playing and te- you know, teaching me about soul music and jazz and you know, funk. And I was also learning classical music in all of my school lessons and studying poetry in my English classes, which then led into songwriting in middle school. And so all these different elements throughout my life ended up adding up to these skills that I was building over time and these moments to, to, to develop things that were really crucial to my education um, in school and outside of school. And so by the time I got to um, college and, you know, was becoming an adult, I, I really knew the music that I love, the arts that I love, and it was very diverse and I felt no need to choose. Like I just was able to love multiple different musical genres, multiple different artistic disciplines, and all of them have made me who I am so when it came to producing my own EP um, you know it's a soul record and that's how I described it to people because it is it's soul music overall but I've had a really fun time incorporating so many different elements from my life and the art that I grew up loving. Mm -hmm. Yeah amazing it sounds like all of these experiences just accumulate to you know where you are now and the skills you're able to utilize. Mm -hmm. Yeah exactly. 
Huh. Um, and can you tell me some more about, um, I think you recently went into music full time. Can you talk to me about that time before and um, were you um, like performing in the DC area before that time and during that? And can you speak some more to that? Right, yeah, of course. So um, about mid uh, 2019, I made the decision to shift the percentages and I'll explain that. The way I used to describe what I do when people would ask would be that I have a couple of different buckets or work streams that I pursue. I have, you know, my artistic pursuits, I had my entrepreneurial pursuits, and then I had other projects I worked on outside of that. And I always just call it shifting percentages. I've actually been balancing all of those buckets, all of those work streams for well over a decade now, even throughout school. Um, but there were different percentages at different times. At times, I was able to focus a lot on music and theater and, and do all these things, but other times it was school and it was you know, professional development and some, you know, corporate work that I did as well as the day job. And it just kind of would go back and forth. And so in summer 2019, I made the decision to shift more of the percentages towards my creative pursuits and entrepreneurial pursuits and to make some adjustments in the other elements of my life so that I would have the flexibility to do so. So realistically, the, the, the work streams haven't changed. It's just the way I'm balancing them has. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been really crucial to me figuring out what to do that works for me. I heard someone say once that, you know, you know the phrase um, when you throw all these balls in the air and you're waiting for them to drop. Mm -hmm. uh, someone, I forget who, um, might be Sheryl Sandberg, but I'm not 100% sure. Someone said that it's not about whether the balls drop, it's about recognizing which balls are plastic and which balls are glass. Ooh. And that such a really great way to look at it because mm -hmm. you know you'll go through life and you'll have so many different commitments and things and it's not just professional it's personal as well it's family stuff it's personal development um and you'll have all these things these balls up in the air and everyone's so scared about any of them dropping but some of them are going to drop that's just that's just life at some mm -hmm. point all will drop but the idea is to prioritize the balls that are glass like you know, your family, the projects that you care the most about, your own like mental health and wellness, and those things that you really don't want to shatter. Um, and then the balls that can bounce back up, like not getting to laundry in time or not making it to that email, you know, when you expected to, or, you know, having to delay things a little bit. So I have been shifting where I put the balls and, but still been balancing them. And that's the kind of the best way to look at it. Before that, I, wasn't performing it live as much as I have been now. I've been blessed to do so, which especially is impressive considering the ongoing uh, restrictions in place for performances. But you know, before 2019, I could go years without playing live, but I had all these projects in development. So all the music that I've been writing, all the ideas that I've been just sitting on, they were just in incubation. incubation. So that meant that once I was able to go, like once the, gate was open and the race was able to start, I was able to just take off. A lot of mm. people have said, oh, you've done so much in a year and a half. And it's because I spent a decade incubating and waiting for the moment when I could charge forth and, and take off and, and let these projects, you know, go. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Cause that actually brings us to where I wanted to go actually. So, um, you know, from, it seems like, you know, these songs are written over the course of seven years. Um, yes. Is that correct? 
Yeah. Okay. And yeah, just one thing that I noticed about you is that you're just a force. Like you have these plans and it's like, we are moving forward. We have all these things <laughs> and it's just amazing. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. and, and incredible. And I got to, you know, sit in on, you know, some of the live you did on the actual debut of yeah, that, that night um, that the EP came out. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I, I thought it was interesting because you were talking with, I believe, your producer and, you know, you can, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kyle Duffy, um, one of my very, very good friends on the producer on For the Record EP. She's a phenomenal producer, recording engineer and musician in her own right. Um, and she's just amazing. And yeah, I, I, I love her. I could go on yeah. and on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet. And can you say your name just one more time in case they didn't pick up? Yep. Yes, that's Kyle Guffey at KGuffs on Instagram and Facebook, I believe. Oh, sweet. So I thought it was interesting. She mentioned that, you know, there was a time where you were curious about what would the sound be? And it seemed like there was a bit of a questioning there. So um, can you tell us a bit about that and and the switch or flips that happened where now you're just resolute and this, you know, locomotive just pushing forward, like with the clear vision? Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been a process. Like people really talk about, you know, people that have reached monumental success. Like I, you know, I consider myself very lucky and blessed, but I feel like I still have a long way to go. But the people that really feel like they've reached a pinnacle always say that they're not an overnight success, that they are a seven, 10, 15, 20 year overnight success. And, you know, I, I definitely feel a little bit about it because it is a process when, uh, Kyle and I were on live and we got to watch the music hit the platforms in real time, which was incredible. I'm so glad I filmed it. Um, I got really emotional and that's just because it took a long time and she was right. There was a point in time where I didn't think I could do it. I was genuinely so scared. Um, you spend your whole life wanting something, um, wanting it in like the very depths of your bones in a way that you can't even fully expressed to a, another person like in a way that you just can't verbalize unless they felt something like that too and spending that your life with that desire going you know not unnoticed by people but not seen in the way that you really want them to see it and to feel it mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it was a scary idea to think about finally bringing that out into the world especially because I decided a very, very long time ago, even as a child, that as a songwriter, I didn't want to just create something to create it. I didn't want to just kind of factory settings, release music that didn't mean anything, didn't have any lasting impact, was temporary and just, you know, just didn't really mean anything just to just to have done it. Um, for me, that's not the music that I've loved. And I felt like if it couldn't live up to that music, then there was just no point in, in putting it out there. And releasing original music is really scary because there's no guarantee that people will like it. Like I can love plenty of things. There are lots of things in life that I love that my friends cannot understand and vice versa. And so when I spent my life singing covers, like everyone loves Aretha Franklin, like everyone loves Tina Turner, everyone loves Nat King Cole. Like you, you can only go so wrong with a cover really. Um, especially if you just know how to do it well. And I felt confident doing that, but putting out music that was authentic to who I am um, 
it's scary. It's a really scary thing. And I also just didn't think if I, I I'm someone where if I don't think I can do something well, I kind of don't want to do it, which I'm working on because there's definitely, you know, there's a benefit in doing things, you know, to work them out and to try and to learn. But I just didn't want to put something out there that would be forgettable or just not well received. And I, the switch happened, you know, in a two part or one was definitely the people that I met who gave me the tools and the resources to do so. Like a part, cause a part of it was just lack of knowledge. You know, I, I've never released original music before. I, there were so many elements to this that I personally didn't feel like I could do by myself. And I just didn't feel like I'd met the people who could help me. And so when I met Kyle and she heard my music and she said, yeah, this is good. We can do something with it. We can do it soon. We don't have to wait 10 years, we can do it. I was like, oh my gosh, cool, okay. And then I met more musicians like Josh Jenkins who helped arrange the music and is an insane pianist and musician and really good friend. And you know, the rest of our um, other musician friends who played on the record found a studio. Like one by one, these things started appearing as I was waiting for them. And so that made it easier. And then the second part was, you know, giving myself permission and acknowledging who I am. Like giving myself permission to do something and to maybe not do it well and maybe for it to maybe not fail but at least to have done it and then focusing my efforts on making sure that I was making something that I loved because it's very easy to get lost in what other people will think and I could easily have just focused on well what will other people like but there are billions of people in the world and not everyone's gonna like it if everyone has such different tastes but I felt like if I made something authentic at the very least I would like it and frankly, I was okay with being in love with this EP if no one else is. I'm thrilled that other people are loving it too. That's super reassuring, but I released this music because I was in love with it and because this is music I would have listened to even if it wasn't coming from me. And I think it was really important for me to reach that point because otherwise I wouldn't feel so confident in presenting it to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I relate to just so much of what you said and I appreciate that you shared the moment of you first discovering um, that the music was live. <laughs> you know, it was just so, yeah, just so beautiful. Yeah, um, it was just a beautiful moment. Yeah, honestly, you know, it took me back to when, you know, I released my first album and yeah, just that excitement and kind of it being, being surreal that this dream being um, realized. So um, I appreciate that, that you shared that and it's exciting, yeah. <laughs> So we can all share, you know, in that also just the fact that you leaned into who you are and with the music and also, you know, recognize that this isn't the end all be all as well. And there'll there'll be other music that comes after this too. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Can you you talk about, um, you know, just wanting the music and the songs to really mean something to you? Can you tell us about the songwriting process of, yeah, just you writing these songs? Yeah, so I uh, wrote the very first song in December, 2013. Um, A good friend of mine was over and we were watching the movie, Despicable Me, because we were grown adults and (laughs) he felt like watching an animated movie that afternoon. And so uh, we watched it, it was actually, it was really funny. It was a really great movie. And there was a line in the movie where, Steve Carell's character Gru said he wanted to be known as the man who stole the moon 
and in, because it's an animation, he meant literally taking the moon, like shrinking it and putting it in his pocket and fleeing from the police. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember I turned to my friend at that moment and I said, that sounds like a song. Like that mm-hmm. kind of very Hallmark, cheesy Hollywood, that sounds like a song. Um, but, it, but it actually happened because it, it, it reminded me just in terms of the name, it reminded me of Judy Garland's The Man That Got Away, which is from mm-hmm. one of the original A Star Is Born movies that came mm-hmm. out you know, several decades ago. And it just sounded like a torch song that someone would write um, about how this man left them and what they were left with and, and how devastating that was. And so, you know, we watched the rest of the movie, he went home and then I went to the piano and I just started playing around with it just because I couldn't forget the idea. And I hadn't really been writing songs for almost 10 years before that, just because I convinced myself at the young age that I didn't have enough interesting experiences to make good songs. Mm-hmm. So I said, well then, you know, in the vein of not doing things that they're gonna be bad, I was just, I just kind of stopped because I didn't wanna write something that wasn't worth it. But I was just so inspired in that moment that I just decided to play with it. And it really was gonna be this very torch jazz song, a little bit dark and, you know, kind of not gritty, but just kind of mournful, like a ballad. Like it was gonna be a ballad because I love ballads and that was what I had in my head. And um, at some point, honestly, I think it would be funny to just kind of play it like that, just to see what people, mm-hmm thought yeah. of the moon the alternate universe right, but, right. Mm-hmm. um the more i played with them the more i thought about the motown songs that i grew up loving that are incredibly depressing <laughs> in subject matter if you think about it but because they're set to this upbeat beat and they have this really fun arrangement um it's their party songs you know like please mr postman or stop in the name of love or you know, Papa was a Rolling Stone. Like all of these songs are actually very heartbreaking. That's true. Right? They're very sad, but um, people play them at birthday parties and 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 in bars and things. It's just it was a fun dichotomy to play with that. It it leaned very much into the fact that when you are dealing with hurt feelings or even potentially um, heartbreak or heart bruising, as I like to say, mm-hmm. you you can find yourself feeling overly dramatic you feel like the world is ending you feel like everything is over and everyone should care that the world is burning but it's not I mean you'll get over it you'll move on um and which is that's that's the moon being stolen out of the sky and birds and flowers but at the end of the day as ridiculous and dramatic and you know sometimes temporary as I can feel in the moment it's very honest to say but it does feel like the moon is out of the sky it does feel like music and birds and all these signs of love have been ruined for me. I mean, you know, that's why you you see people who are like, I can't stand, or, or Neo. Neo had a line in one of his songs, So Sick, for back in the day, where he said, I'm so sick of love songs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he would talk about the love songs he just couldn't listen to anymore because he's just, you know, in that moment in the song, he's not in the place to enjoy these things. And there's also um, the classic standard down with love that a lot of amazing artists have sing, sung and it talks about down with love, down with flowers and rice and shoes. You know, it even says, take that moon, wrap it in cellophane. Like the, the moon is such a symbol of romance and love. Mm-hmm. And so it felt interesting to play with that dichotomy of like, yes, I know I'm being overly dramatic and no, the moon isn't actually out of the sky, but it feels like that. And I'm gonna be really honest about that moment. And so that was the very first song I wrote. And after that, I was inspired by a lot of different things. I was inspired by 
um, TV shows and my own personal experiences and talking to friends. I was inspired by different phrases like both rock steady, be my rock and drinking poison were inspired by these sayings I had heard. Um, rock steady, be my rock was inspired by this saying from one of my best friends, which is that, you know, in your life, there will be leaves, there will be branches and there will be roots. And it's important to know that, know the difference. And it's this idea that like not everybody in your life is going to be foundational to who you are and not everybody in your life is going to stay around, but each one serves its purpose. Like the leaves should be there, but they don't last through fall. The branches can be stronger, but they can break in a storm, but the root holds up the tree and you need mm. to know who you are. Mm. And then poison is based on the phrase, um, it's, it's the phrase attributed to many people that holding a grudge or holding anger is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And I distinctly remember when I heard that it resonated with me because it's true. And I never heard someone put it like that before. And also just because it, the phrase drinking poison is really like eye catching. You kind of just want to be like, what's this about? Right, right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's kind of how a lot of those, those songs uh, float out. And then in the silence of your love, that's just a love song to my family, my friends, the people who are my roots. It's, it's that's why Rocksteady is first and then the silence of your love is last because they're companion pieces. Rocksteady is saying, this is the love I want and in the silence of your love is saying the love that I have and they're one and the same. And so it was fun to play around with that. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about the arrangements and rehearsing the pre, you know, recording and then actually recording in the studio. Yeah, so I had experimented a little bit with you. I, I had done recording before. I've been in recording in my bedroom. I've been recording in studios. I've recorded, you know, in different places. Um, but I haven't done it with original music before. And so it was interesting to kind of see the difference. But uh, in the case of these songs, for most of them, I had the lyrics on the medley, or the melody, excuse me, the lyrics on the melody, and I knew how I wanted the song to sound. I knew the genre, I knew the style, I knew the speed, I knew the, you know, there were certain parts that I literally had in my head, but my music theory is not what it should be, unfortunately. I wish it was, but you know, certain things are, you, are your strengths and certain things are you're not. And so music theory and kind of notation and everything is not my strength because um, I didn't train in that formally. So I always knew that I would have to find somebody who was, I used to say someone who was as well versed in the music and the music theory as I was in the idea and the melody and the lyrics, like someone mm -hmm. who the Rogers to my hammer sign is what I used to say. <laughs> and so um, Kyle worked as the arranger, Kyle Guffey, my producer worked as the arranger on the Man of Soul, the Moon. And she was phenomenal. She, I would tell her things and she'd be like, I got it. And we'd workshop so many different ideas she was super patient with me because I, I tend to be very specific in what I want, especially for these songs, because I've been thinking about them for years. And so I, I knew very much what I wanted to hear. Um, and that was a really great process with her. And that took about a year, year and a half, just because we both had competing priorities and engagements. After that, um, or near the end of that time, I met Josh, Josh Jenkins, who served as the lead arranger and, and pianist, organist, and music director on the CP. And uh, he and I just met an open mic night here in DC at Mr. Henry's. Um, I could tell the second he like took the stage to play that he was incredible. And so I very quickly introduced myself and said I'd you know, love to kind of hang, play sometime. Uh, we played a couple gigs together that were just a really great time. And we were also bonding as friends. And so I told him about this project and I said, you know, 
Kyle is the producer and she's working on these things, but you know, we have competing priorities. And so we can't move this along. Would you be interested in joining? And uh, he graciously said yes <laughs> and joined the team. And uh, he and I worked together to arrange the music. So I would essentially play him a song. Like I would do a very simple, very basic voice memo, usually on my like phone or iPad or something. And uh, we'd just play it for him. And I would just kind of give him the feel. I'd say, this is gonna be kind of bluesy. This is gonna be kind of ballad, soul, you know, feel these were the instruments that I want I was very specific about you know I want electric guitar and three or four horns and background vocals and all this stuff and um, I explained you know what influences I had so he could listen to those and kind of get a feel for what I appreciated out of those arrangements and mm -hmm. then he would just take those ideas go away put something together and bring it to me based on the melody the lyrics the instrumentation the thoughts that I had also adding in his own like ideas and thoughts that were so genius. Um, for instance, I had spent, you know, four or five years thinking that the instrumental solo in the in the silence of your love was going to be violin. Like that's what I had heard and thought in my head for so long. And when I explained it to him, he's like, no, I think you went cello. And the second mm -hmm. he said that, I was like, yes. Like, mm -hmm. correct. Mm -hmm. That is it. Yeah, you're right. And, it, and he was so right. And so it was just stuff like that. He came up with different horn lines and, and combinations and how all the instruments were going to work together to make a holistic sound and uh, yeah and he was amazing and so we did one or two sessions in person of course the world began to shut down and so we had to switch to a lot of zoom calls and phone calls and emails back and forth but he was so diligent about getting everything to me and making sure that i was really happy with what was happening and he's also just a genius so it was super fun. And then once we had that, we went through the process of like, I'd been identifying the musicians that I wanted to work on it and play on it. Cause it's a band of about maybe like 12 people total. Actually, no, sorry, excuse me. Cause if I include the, it was a different band on the Man Who Sold the Moon because we recorded it a year before. So if you include that, it's actually almost 20 people. Um, oh, wow. wow. <laughs> In the behind the scenes, I was reaching out and you know recruiting people to join my contacts, a lot of his contacts. And uh, yeah, so that by the time we were ready to get in the studio and start recording with people, we had our team. And, uh, it, it was it was a dream. It was an absolute dream. Mm. Oh man, my goodness! And you recorded it at Crescendo Studios. Yes, uh, <laughs> my absolute favorite. So that was actually another Kyle connection because she mm -hmm. was really good friends with and had worked with the um, one of the co-owners and several of the staff members. And so she told me about the place and I was like, oh, cool. Sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. And then I went and it's just, oh, it's just the most beautiful setup, beautiful facility. Mm -hmm. um, and it's run by people who are musicians themselves and really know and appreciate music at all ages. They run as a music school too. And mm -hmm. so they have kids super young who are learning and really developing and investing in their passion for the arts at a young age. But then they also have these gorgeous studios where I recorded pretty much the whole of my EP in and mm -hmm. I will be having my EP release show in a couple of weeks as well. And so, yeah, I just, they're the best. I could gush about them for forever. And they've been so good to me, so kind and supportive and encouraging. Mm -hmm. They're, they're great. I love them. Yeah. What was your favorite, more, your favorite moment while recording? Uh, it's hard because there were just so many. Um, I think honestly, I can't pick just one. I'm, I'm going to be that person. I, I really can't. <laughs> the whole thing was a dream but I think the moments when I could 
I'll say, I'm going to be even worse. I'm going to say two types of moments. One, the moment when the moments when I was actually able to sit back and listen and hear the music that had been in my head for so long out loud. It's just a very surreal experience because as a songwriter, you hear this, but you hear it so vividly, like a vision or a feeling like I've heard these songs in my head as if they were fully arranged and played by 10 people and, and out, but no one else could hear it. And so to hear it, I, I told Kyle, like when she, the first time she sent me one of the mixes, like to hear my music outside of my body for the first time in my life. And like, it was just, it was really powerful. And so that was amazing. And then another moment or two that happened was um, moments when I appreciated that I was just the talent that day. You know, as an independent musician, you are typically never just a talent. You are the stylist, you are the coordinator, you are the finance manager and budget manager, project manager, you are the photographer and social media manager. You are 50 other things besides being the artist. And that just means that you're so distracted and trying to get everything right and something inevitably slips through the cracks. But because of the team I was blessed to surround myself with, there were several moments, even on like film, by the videographer who got to take over the camera and film all these moments for me, I was just saying, I don't know what to do myself with myself. I'm just talent. Like that's never happened to me before. They just, I just, I was literally just there to like kind of sit and look pretty and sound good. Like it was so nice. And I really appreciated that. And that's all thanks to the people that I met and was able to bring on the project because they handled everything so competently and were so enthusiastic about getting everything done and doing it well, that it, took the burden off of my shoulders to take care of all these tasks that normally would solely have fallen to me. Mm. Yeah, that'll sound like, yeah, just surreal experiences. Um, can you share with us just a little, you know, about the, the concert you have coming up and, um, you know, anything that, you know, how you want people to follow you and keep up with you? Yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm, so excited for the release show. Uh, it's happening on February 26th and it'll happen online. Um, so you can see it from literally anywhere in the world. And what's funny about that is, you know, if you had asked me a couple of years ago, if I wanted my EP release show to happen in a live stream or in person, I, I definitely would have said in person. Um, and I still feel that way. I'm really excited for, to have audiences there and see them interacting with the music in front of me. However, you know, due to, of course, certain circumstances in the way the, the world is right now, um, we have to do it as a live stream. And that's provided other benefits, too, because there are people in my life and, and people who enjoy the music who are going to get to see it being played live in real time, who never would have been able to get there to a physical location. Um, and I'm really appreciative of that. Like my family members, my grandmothers in different countries will be able to watch me play music live online and they never would have gotten that chance to see an in-person show so I'm very excited about it it's going to be recorded and broadcast live from Crescendo Studio so while you're watching the show you you will literally be playing that music Mm -hmm. and it's with six of the band members who played on the EP and I'm I'm just so excited like anytime I get to play with them it's just such a joy they are incredible artists and we just have fun together. That's like the really amazing thing about making music with friends and with people you feel comfortable with and you feel like, no, because you can kind of just let loose. You can kind of just see what mm-hmm. happens. Like the best moments in life that I've experienced on stage have been completely improvised and no one was planning it, but you're just like, uh, sure, let's, <laughs> let's just try it. 
Um, so I'm really, really excited for the show. You can buy tickets online. Um, it's being produced uh, by SNRG Music, SNRG Sun Never Really Get. And they're a DC metro area based group that um, produces shows and also performs themselves. I'm very good friends with them and they've been so supportive of my artistic career uh, since I met them not so long ago, but they're amazing. And they've been working very hard with Crescendo and other venues to create spaces like this where they can produce live shows uh, for people to tune into safely from their homes so that musicians can continue to play and make art and, and you know, fulfill themselves and artists or audiences can still get that enjoyment from attending a show, um, but feel safe and comfortable with it. So they've been amazing. And um, you can buy tickets on their website, snrg.com slash shop, I think. The full link is on my Instagram pro uh, profile and also Facebook and uh, my website. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a really, really fun show. And in general, if you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at, at MS, Miss Kemi Adegaroye, so MS and then my name, uh, on Instagram and on Facebook. You can also visit my website, kemiadegaroye.com and sign up for my newsletter. I finally talk about things you, you did during the pandemic. I finally got my email listler um, up and running. So you can reach out for updates. And um, I also do work with a local band as well. And so we play music separately. That's a little bit different and super fun. And uh, you can follow us at Terra Firma, the band on Instagram and Facebook too. Um, well, congratulations again on the release of the For the Record EP. Again, it's excellent. Yes, Thank you. And Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Black women make everything better. So, and, <laughs> <laughs> and you as an individual um, are inspiring to me. So I really appreciate you coming on to share your story with us. Yeah. Thank you. It's really my pleasure. And it's great to, to, to meet you and to meet people who are supportive and appreciative of the arts. Mm, yes, my pleasure as well. <laughs> yeah.